Blog Talk Radio. Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. Today we have special co-host uh, Callie uh, Bronson of the DC Divas, back-to-back champion DC Divas. 
And then we'll have Mike yeah. Burmy today also to address the uh, women's gridiron scene offseason in the U.S. So uh, let's welcome in uh, Callie Branson right here to the Gridiron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com alongside Oscar Lopez. So, Callie, how's it going today? Oscar, how are you? Thanks for having me. Good. I just thought it'd be fitting since I brought you on today that that was a pretty good song, the Can't Lose song. So since you guys are yeah. kind of on a ride for two years, just thought maybe that was very just a, kind of a fitting opening. Yeah, very fitting. Now, Kelly, you guys were at the Redskins game this past weekend, so uh, kind of another focal point for me to bring you on. Um, so second year in a row that the uh, the NFL has been pretty much empowering now. Uh, we're looking at you know, more involvement. We talked to Odessa uh, uh, last week about the involvement with, you know, with Katie being in Atlanta, Jen with Arizona and doing the NFL three, play 360 um, and how that's going to, you know, put you guys pretty much on the map at this point. Internally, you got uh, Sam in, at the offices now. So uh, it, it's kind of progressing in, in a positive uh, way. Now, as uh, Odessa had pointed out last week, it's about time that these the, the puzzles, you know, the leagues get their their stuff in order because the opportunity is even greater than it ever was before. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's the kind of hits it on the head there. Um, you know, it's time for it. everybody else is starting to give us a, a little bit of an opportunity, an opportunity that we've been asking for for a long time. And now it's time for us to, to kind of get it together on our spectrum and, and figure out what's the best for women's football as an entity. Um, and, and continue kind of this great momentum that we have going on. Yeah, we're getting invited to NFL games, which is which is phenomenal, and you know, being a part of that experience and seeing people that we converted into fans just in probably a matter of five minutes is an amazing opportunity. But those people are going to start looking up women's football, and, and we need to, to kind of figure out what we're going to do moving forward as an entity. And an entity includes all the leagues, everybody involved, international and national, here in the U.S., and kind of figure out what we're going to do from there. Yeah, and, you know, and it's – we've talked about it at length in the past about the intangibles, uh, and we can pretty much recycle all that over and over and over, but there's no progress. But now, you know, um, with Sam going forward, the Rooney rule and the opportunities that are being afforded and the fact that you have individuals like yourselves, you know, and others that came before you, you know, the 2010 team, the 2013 team, uh, they competed at the IFAB. Well, we have the IFAB World Championships coming up here in a couple months, which is sort of similar to what I was trying to address last week. It's the same concept that USA Women's Soccer had, you know what I mean, in that aspect where there is going to be a huge opportunity for hype, but at the same time uh, the hype needs to come with some sort of you know positive result and then impact. And I think that's where we're at now. We're in that, at that level I don't want to mock one league over the other, but as I was telling Odessa on our last interview, it really clears, it's really clear to an outsider or somebody that follows the sport uh, that the WFA probably has the best talent, if not the best franchises in terms of markets than the IWFL would have at this point. So it's, it's really more, I think, on Lisa to kind of figure that out with the obviously established ownerships like in your in your realm like DC and Pittsburgh and and Chicago and and Boston and things like right. that to kind of like figure out how we can 
maybe go forward in an East Coast swing, not so much nationally. And we talked about okay. the National Women's Hockey League as an example model last week. And I think that's where uh, I think the Women's Football League needs to start looking at. Because as she said, there is sponsorship opportunities already. There's things that, you know, in place. It's just a matter of presenting a, a pro product. I think that's what Odessa was saying. We're not... We can't go with the recreational 600 team teams. We need to address the fact that we have valuable markets, just like the NFL would, and and we have committed ownerships that are willing to put together six to ten teams and play, uh, you know, a season to showcase what the women can do in the sport and and maybe elevate it to a level where there's TV awareness and then there's obviously a sponsorship uh, that comes with that. So it's it's kind of an exciting time when you start talking about it like that how it's very thrilling in that sense. Well, yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, I think if you look at it in any sort of a business mind, uh, if you're launching a new company, you know, you're not going to release uh, 15 products and five of which you know are effective or the best for your target market. Um, and the other 10 just kind of sit there in your stock inventory. You're going to release the five and you're going to publicize as much as you can about the five, because that's what's going to establish your name. That's what's going to establish your reputation. I think that's a really great way to put it. I think that's a direction that, um, that that's definitely necessary for the survival of the sport. And I think you hit it kind of on the head. We're in a really big sweet spot now um, that we can't take, we can't take for granted and we can't take advantage of uh, where we're at right now as a sport. We're getting a lot of recognition recognition. You know, I remember coming back from Finland and, and we, you know, we do a, an amazing thing over there in Finland and we win a gold medal and we come back and everybody within the football world is unbelievably amazed and, and impressed. And obviously our, our friends and our family that know us, but other than that, it's like when we introduce ourselves as, as gold medalists, people are like, Oh, I didn't even know women's football, you know, was at that point. And that's a really harsh reality sometimes to face, but, um, we ha- we were waiting for a sweet spot. We were waiting for a time where we actually have a podium, and we have a podium now, and every move we make is intricate into whether or not this sport survives for us. Yeah, and, I mean, D.C., you guys are a perfect example. I mean, uh, an example of a big market, you got uh, basically two NFL teams with that proximity. So there should be no reason, uh, you know, that – you pick the East Coast, as I said before, if you take the East Coast swing, just like the uh, NWHL did, which is they right. assess their markets. The, the one issue that you always have with the intangible we talked about last week, obviously, is the travel cost. We all have the travel cost, and that's a big issue exactly. with women's football because, you know, that's, that's the one hurdle that has to happen. Everything else is probably manageable, you know what I mean? But the, the hurdle is there, and I think that's where – I think that's where the uh, w, uh, NWHL has done a, a good job at, at the fact that they put together six teams or so in nearby markets, which probably at, at one point on a flight mode is only a two-hour flight, which for a sponsor exactly. to cover, what, a couple hundred dollars a flight, and you're talking six games or maybe eight games, right? So 300 out of that eight, that's right. $2,400 $2, per player. Uh, not big of a deal, but the, the the issue, like for example, Dunkin' Donuts taking on and sponsoring the uh, um, the National Women's Hockey uh, Hockey League, is because you know coffee and all that goes with with women in terms of a demographic more so than the men, and at the same time they they saw that the fact that the sport is something pioneering 
and it's something they can break into and actually expose themselves to that where they were at the forefront of support. So it's kind of like, you know, that, that mentality, you know what I mean? So that's where we, that's where the drawing has to be. It's like, how is it beneficial to somebody, uh, an airline or maybe a tra- uh, you know, um, a, a car rental place that would give you some sort of access that way. That that's best. So let's, let's go ahead, let's go ahead into the Nojo football huddle, Carly. Um, I mean, Kelly, let's go into the Nojo football huddle uh, sponsored by Zazzle.com and get your gear, support the No Joke Football Project, and you can go to Zazzle.com for slash Gridiron Beauties. And we're going to bring in uh, Michael Burmy, and we're going to talk pretty much the off-season news with you, and, and pretty much the whole hour, this one hour is going to be pretty much women's gridiron in terms of the U.S. scene and obviously international news as well. So let's go bring in uh, Michael Burmy, and if you don't follow mm-hmm. Michael, very informative, very big supporter of the women's game. So, Michael, how's it going today? Going pretty good. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Awesome. Michael, you're on with Callie. Uh, I wanted to bring Callie in because there she is, back-to-back champions, kind of fitting for the for the intro. Uh, you're, you've followed women's football for a long time. I've followed women's football for a long time. Uh, me and her just talked about the fact that this is a prime opportunity for it to be elevated to a higher level. Odessa talked about it last week. We have been talking about it for months. Uh, now Sam is in, at the NFL office. Uh, we have Katie in Atlanta. You had uh, you have Jen involved in very aspects in very aspects of the sport with the NFL 360 and other things. So, uh, what's your point of view as where the women's the state of the women's football in terms of the U.S. Okay, well let me just ask a question. By what points? I honestly don't know why the NWHL is such a good example there. Apparently, one thing I don't like about them is that they're kind of exclusive in the Northeast. As a Midwesterner myself, I honestly think Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, even, I think even Milwaukee would do good hosting an NWHL team. For some reason, they don't think they, they, we're just shut out of there because we're not in Northeastern city. Now, I think it's, my but debate to that would be – my debate to that, Michael, would be that they're starting brand new. It's, it's year two. Uh, we're talking about finances and we're talking about expenditures. So they, they felt it's easier for them to get their footprint in in the East Coast because it allows them for less travel costs. The sponsors can cover that. Once you start branching out too far out into the Midwest and the, and the West, you cannot have that option because you're still growing. Once you get sponsors or build your branding over maybe a five-year plan, then you're able to go forward because you still have to cover those costs. And uh, the, the hockey, in the hockey realm, uh, realm of things, I think there's a roster of 30 or more, so that's still a cost. And in football, it's, as we talked about before, it's probably over 50. So for somebody to take on that type of mode, I think their model is what my, my address with the model is that it's contained in a certain region. Let's, let's make an impact with the fans. Hopefully, like for them, hopefully the NHL will see some value into it and see that it's a valuable product, and maybe at some point the owners will dive in with money. Same concept here. This is what I'm saying. If you take the best teams on the East Coast in, let's say, the WFA, for example, and put them in a season or two or three seasons, and they show their caliber of talent on the field, for example, as Odessa, has, as I mentioned before, where the caliber on the field has to represent that, and then the fans and the attendants come, then – NFL ownership maybe will see a value in terms of investment, and I think that's where the uh, okay, NWHL that, is. That's my only example. Okay, but what would that 
but what would you tell teams such as the Chicago Forts or the Dallas Elites or the Kansas City Titans or the Central Cal War Angels? Would you tell them that it's would you tell them that they're just not worth displaying because they're not on the East Coast? No, I'm th- we're not wiping any team out. What we're, what we're trying to get to the point here is our conversation is how do we elevate maybe the six best or eight best teams in the WFA on the East Coast region with a p- close proximity to help out with travel costs that won't be a burden. And then at that point, you know, it's more like an elite, kind of like what soccer does where you have an elite team, an elite league, you would elevate those six squads into an elite league where everybody else would maybe would play their regular season like they normally do, but on a Division Two level. But you are exposing probably the eight to ten best teams in the East Coast in terms of impact to get awareness, to maybe bring in the NFL to get investments. That's my point. Okay, I see more of where you're coming from. But keep in mind. But keep in mind. I really. Well, what would you have? But what would you? But as my question, I asked, what would you say to the teams on the elite teams, which are not on, lucky enough to be on the East Coast? That's the tough conversation that we're talking about. That's the thing I was addressing with Callie is, you know, and Odessa has addressed it previously. Uh, how do you get the house in order? How does everybody come on board to the benefit? You know, to benefit the greater good. And that's what we're talking about. The greater good. We have. We have attention now. We have some sort of uh, backing from the NFL. Everything is coming in full circle. You got Sam making ends road internally. You got the obviously players that have played a long time now more visible up in media and, and more impressed. That's the point that we have to make. Is that's the conversation that both of these leagues have to have at the leadership level to benefit the sport. There's no way that somebody's going to invest in 60 to 90 teams. That's a recreational league, but a professional league, it would have to be an eight to 10 best teams in one region to, to showcase the talent, but at the same time, minimize those, that travel cost and overhead. That's Once you have that, with in, then, yeah. That's my problem with it, the in one region part. The WFA tier, I mean, WFA is tier one. That's a good thing to showcase as is. It goes all the way from Boston to Seattle, and just the tier one, tier one is good enough to showcase as it is. So we can showcase the best teams. We don't have to limit it to a specific region. No, Michael, but how are you going to cover that cost coast to coast? There's nobody that's going to come on board to cover the travel costs. That's the biggest issue that you face with it. Everything else is probably manageable, and at some point you can make a, you can make a good, you know, a good uh, aspect of, of a business plan. But the travel cost has yeah, been the, I, the biggest burning conversation. I don't know that I ultimately agree that this sport personally is at a level for women's football in the country where even tier one was – even some of the teams that were tier one were were completely and totally competitive enough to call it that. You know, and the problem is, you know, if something happens where an east-west matchup, we're extremely blessed with another phenomenal Super Bowl game like we had. Um, you know, with Dallas, Dallas. of course, Dallas. Yeah, but 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 that's not, the they're point. not the on the coast, are they? No, 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 I'm not. I'm not arguing the yeah. regional barrier. I'm not arguing the East yeah. Coast West Coast thing. What I'm saying is, yeah. we're still not at a point. And Odessa touched on this last last uh, last week. We're still not at a point where even we can say all of our Tier One teams are competing at that level 
worth being able to say to a sponsor, whether we be an East Coast or West Coast team, being able to say, hey, can you fly us out to so-and-so? You know, Dallas had a problem just like we had a problem. How are we going to get our people to the championship? That's not a problem we should be having. But since the Tier 1 is not foolproof, you can't sit there and say, you know, you bring up Seattle. Seattle competed in the West, yes. But could they play the same game in the East against some of the Big East teams? Absolutely not. It's totally different world. And it's nothing against the Seattle team. There's always improvements that could be made on both sides of the coast. But the point is, even calling it Tier 1 isn't calling it Tier 1. We don't have that level of competitiveness across the board, even in the quote-unquote best tier of the league. Right. Yeah, that, so that's my point. To be able point. to ask but, a major sponsor, to be able to ask a major sponsor to come in. So say Seattle makes a championship. To be able to ask a major sponsor to come in, you know, they're going to be looking at track record of this or so forth. It's just there's just nothing. There's there's no there's no product to put money where its mouth is at this point. Right. Okay, I see where you're coming from. Michael, the only thing we're trying to the only thing we're trying to say here is that there's an opportunity here for the sport to be uh, elevated to uh, more of an awareness for sponsors, but there's nobody that's going to fit the bill in terms of money. There's nobody going to fit the bill in terms of money unless it's compressed first and foremost in a in a in a real good region. You know, you take you you have to assess the best teams in the league right now, and if it's on the East Coast, you take you have to assess what are the best teams on this side of the coast and can these teams, you know, elevate their game to where it's NFL-like and maybe draw in sponsors? And then at that point, everybody else benefits from that because that's where – that's the starting point. And then at that point, to your point, yes, then you probably have to move to the Midwest region because that's where, obviously, the Chicago's exist, where, you know, all the other all, – all other teams exist. Even even the, the elite would exist there. But uh, as a starting point, that's the only thing we're addressing at this. So – um, why don't we get into off-season news now, Michael? Because um, I know we can spend hours debating this, and we can go on for days, back and forth. Um, but we got we got exciting news, right? IWFL news. We had Carolina and Baltimore moving to the WFA. So, uh, Michael, yep, I'll give you the, the, the floor news. here. Was it was it shocking to you that they moved over, or was it something that you thought maybe it was going to happen no matter what? It was shocking. It was really shocking because given how they've, they've been in WSA for 10-plus years now, I mean in the IWFL for 10-plus years now, I thought they were going to stay in the IWFL until they folded. In fact, is, I know when, when I was the staff writer of the WSFL, we talked to these teams. They were always the most cheapest there. And they were, they were always ones who the Nighthawks would flat out refuse because they were loyal to the IWFL from day in and day out. But it's, but this, I gotta say, this is really surprising, and kind of makes kind of makes you wonder what is going on. Those legal levels there. I think that's a good and point also, too, because that's that's exactly what I thought when when I heard the news. Um, just just kind of wondering what's going on, uh, maybe in that league, what's going on that that kind of makes that kind of a move happen. It makes, I think, yeah. the product in the WFA probably stronger on the East Coast, more competitive. If we didn't have you – know, if it wasn't competitive enough already, <laughs> it makes the product uh, – it's sort of like uh, Redskins and Ravens now on a true level, which you have Nighthawks and Divas. 
So I guess the rivalry aspect of it is great. Uh, you also have the Carolina rivalry right next door in the state with Pittsburgh, which, which they've had some uh, some games when they were in the IWFL. So I guess, you know, coming over really as a fan, you're like, you can't wait for these matchups. Yep, I, that, that is going exactly. I know I am really hyped to see the Nighthawks resume resume their rivalry with the D.C. Divas. And also, and also I'm interested in seeing them get into, get into the rivalry with the, the travelers with the Philadelphia Phantoms and the Richmond Black Widows as well. That's a good point. Those are two yeah, matches first, I'm wanting to see in the back of my mind. My first ever game in women's pro football was against the Baltimore Nighthawks, and I got my bell rung so hard on the first play of the game. And that was my welcome to women's football. So I'm welcoming them back onto our schedule and uh, very excited to kind of see how they come back into the mix. And one of them, you know, Carolina, Carolina has been elite at some point. I mean, if you want to consider elite in the IWFL. So this really is a great, uh, you know, great move for them too, because, they take their team and their organization maybe to a higher level against more equal competition on a week-to-week basis, not to mock anybody in the IWFL. But, you know, for the WFA aspect of it, uh, I think it just benefits everybody in the WFA in terms of that, in, the, in that region. Exactly, because that, I know, especially when you think about it, the Phoenix have pretty much done everything a team can do in the IWFL. They were dominant on the X-team level. They won several Founders Bowls. They even won the IWFL World Championship one year. So there was really nothing left for them to do in the IWFL. So that's why I think they made the step up, and they're going to they're gonna try playing some good, some good solid competition ahead. I know I'm really looking forward to their games against the other Phoenix from the WFA, the Atlanta Phoenix. Yeah, and, and I think the one move that needs to happen still that will be a shocker of shockers is if Montreal ever uh, abandons the IWFL and goes to the WFA on the East Coast. I then don't think Montreal is going to go to the WFA if they leave the IWFL. If the Blitz leave the IWFL, no. I think it's going to be to form a new all-Canadian league. Yeah, and that's the issue up there too. You, and you talked about it before, uh, Michael. The issue there is they're not going to go to the Maritime because that's just a lesser league. They would have to travel to, uh, you know, Saskatchewan. And, uh, and the travel cost obviously is the issue there because they're closer to uh, the well, East Coast region. Let's Somebody needs to start up a league. Somebody needs to start up a league for a Central Canada League, a league for, on, not for Ontario and Quebec, not just the greater Toronto area. I mean, as right. I said, they could, uh, what you were trying to bring up there, I already have a plan for how it could work there. The first four markets there would, would be Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal, and Quebec City. Have the first season or so, have the first, because it is limited to the Montreal or Quebec League, it's a, because it's an Ontario-Quebec League and not a national league, I think you can work with just these four teams starting up there. Then, and then see how it goes from there. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough in that region because uh, they they planned on doing that earlier. I think last 18 months or almost 24 months ago, they they wanted to do central the Central Canadian uh, Women's Football League and it never and never matured, never launched out of there. The so it's going to be I a hurdle for them to try to get it out. 
all of the teams were going to be in the greater Toronto area. And I think right. Toronto, I think, is big enough to hold one or is holding big enough to support two teams, maybe three, but certainly not four, and definitely not as just as the entire focus of the league. I think they put all their eggs in one basket is why they failed. Yeah. So, Kelly, uh, in the, in the let's talk East Coast, the off season here. So we got Carolina coming in. You got Baltimore coming in. Um, you does it get tougher for you guys at this point with those two teams in there, or is it something of the, the same level? Obviously, you're going to be facing more of a closer rivals in terms of uh, proximity. Yeah, I mean, on the proximity level, it definitely helps out a lot. Uh, having Baltimore back in the mix. Uh, we tried to mix some other teams into into our schedule this year and, and kind, of tr- kind of try and make it work. And we traveled to Boston, obviously. We traveled to Chicago, a couple long trips. Um, and, and, you know, that makes it tough on a travel perspective. Schedule perspective, you know, as we all know, since we've been following the, following the league for so long, uh, we'll, we'll see who's still staying on ship for all the teams um, <laughs> in the Big East because that makes a big difference. Um, it's just good to have those teams back. Uh, like we've been talking for a long time, trying to trying to get a league where everybody is involved, all the major cities within your local proximity are involved, is obviously going to help the sport. It's going to help the travel costs. It's going to help all those things. Personally, um, I'm not sure on a Divas history note when the last time we've ever been able to travel to Carolina. Not in not in my not in my seven years have have we played have we played a Carolina team. Um, so you know it'll be nice to be able to get that in the mix, to be able to, 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 to kind of intermingle that. They're a competitive team. I think you hit it on the head. They're a week-to-week team. They prepare well for their, for their opponents. Uh, they adjust well. It'll be nice to kind of meet a new team. I always said that. And uh, my first five years playing, we never – well, my, my first year we saw the Atlanta explosion, not the Atlanta Phoenix. But other than that, we didn't really see many South teams. Uh, until a few years ago, when when we when we met the uh, the Phoenix and then the Fury, obviously Miami from Miami. Uh, other than that, it was always you know us in Pittsburgh or us in New York and then us in Boston, and that was kind of always our playoff script. So uh, adding these other teams to the mix not only adds that extra spectrum, but it makes them better too. Uh, you know, Carolina is only going to benefit from having a stronger schedule as an as a franchise, as an organization for the future of their team, for their players currently. It's only going to better them to be able to play teams like D.C. Uh, and, and, and teams like that. It's only going to better them. So we're talking about growth of the sport. We're talking about growth of the leagues. So them coming back in here, I'm hoping, we're with the intention of, of strengthening them as, as a team. They're getting that exposure. They're getting that opportunity to grow. Uh, in my experience, you as a person and as a team grow based off of the people who you line up against. So I'm hoping that that betters also Baltimore. I would love to see that franchise continue. Like I said, it's the first team that I ever got to face uh, as a women's pro football player. So uh, I can only hope the best for that for that franchise. I know a lot of them very well. Played with a couple of them over the past couple of years. Uh, so so I can only hope for their growth and 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 they're they're getting better and, and helping grow the sport with us in the DC area. Exactly. The point. That's what I'm really excited to see. If, to see the teams there, because as I was continuing what I was saying there, I think you said on the head there, as as I was saying, the Phoenix have done everything they can in the IWFL. WFA is where they can grow their organization and really become an undisputed elite team. 
That I agree with. And, and, and the great thing is Carolina's going to pop in, and I think they're, they're going to hold their own uh, right off the bat, as well as God knows what their potential is over the next few years uh, as the sport continues to grow and as they continue to grow in the WFA. But, you know, what I'm excited to see over the next few years, especially this season, is the growth of what I like to call the bubble teams. So we're talking about this Tier 1, Tier 2 relationship. I, I see a couple of bubble teams classified, a Cleveland, a Central Michigan. Um, I mean, you know, Michael, you can list probably a few more off the top of your head that I think should be are, – are just this close. You know, they're, they're fourth and inches in a metaphorical term um, to being where they need to be. And whatever that is, please don't get me started sure on know. that. If we I, went to talking yeah, I, about I, I, tier I won't, two teams, if we went to talking about tier two teams that should be tier one, then we could be, then we would be here all night. Right? No, I, yeah, are I, so I, 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 yeah, that's, that's a totally, that's a totally different, different conversation for a different night. I totally agree. Um, but, but, but I think that that Carolina is going to go ahead and establish themselves. Then I'm, I'm interested to see with where the league puts them. I'm interested to see with what they do in year one. I mean, that's extremely important. Uh, all those things are getting milled out, to my understanding, right now. And, um, you know, I'm really interested to see what they do in their first year because, um, you know, I think they're going to set a groundwork for a lot of things. Excited to see it. Uh, I know a few, a lot of, I say a few, but I know a lot of the girls playing down there who have a lot of heart. And, I mean, that's what, that's what the sport needs. More specifically, we talk about a unified league. That's what – at least if we're just talking about one at this point, the WFA, I mean, that's, that's what this league needs. A lot of competitive heart, well-run organizations who are ready to make the sport grow as well as their organization. It all starts with everybody's organization. Now, Michael, my two cents here is that um, you're very sensitive to some of the topics that we go with in terms of the leagues, but is that because you're in an ownership status or is it just because you've seen so many things over the years? It's because, I mean, well, my ownership, the team I have is currently in flux, so don't have, I don't have any qualifications as an ownership status. I, I only speak from a fan's point of view there, and that's what I've seen so many, what I've been seeing so, so much time and time again. It's just that my heart goes out to those, to all these teams there, especially to the, small, to the smaller market teams there. I've been, that's, I've built up a reputation as being the advocate for small market teams, teams which aren't really all advantaged there. So please forget, so I really apologize if I've come off as rude or abrasive at any point tonight, but just know that's something I've seen what they're doing, and that's just something I feel really strongly about. Well, Michael, can I say no, I, and, this is Yeah, go my, ahead. My, my point with that is, and I totally agree with what Michael's saying, because, I mean, I've been an advocate of the sport ever since I became invested for every single team. And then when I went to the Women's World football games and, and met not only international players, but players domestically who are playing for a lot of these teams who look up to these Big East teams. But let me, let me just put one team in particular in the spotlight about this whole tier system. Another one that I would qualify as a bubble team is St. Louis. And they're a bubble team for sure, but they just won a Tier 2 national championship. And now they're getting a ton of publicity for their team for a national championship that they wouldn't have gotten if they were a tier one team. And they're definitely a bubble team. And they wouldn't have gotten that same publicity and podium because they wouldn't have even maybe made it to the playoffs, but lost in the first or second round and never gotten that. And that's just another dead end for them. But however, now they can say they're national championships, whether it be tier one or tier two, 
they have gotten so much social media attention for a national championship. People are calling them, obviously, since the St. Louis Rams left the city. Uh, and then, you know, this is, now they're the sole football team in the city. But uh, I read so many articles after their national championship in Pittsburgh saying that they're the best football team that St. Louis has seen in a long time, even considering the men. And, I mean, that's something that the St. Louis Slam would have never gotten had they won a national championship. And, I mean, that's phenomenal for them because this is a stepping stone. But they needed at least the podium to do so. And because of that, they've been able to publicize. It'd be very intrigued to talk to somebody within the organization to see what kind of impact it's had on tryouts, interest in the team, et cetera, because I know it's boosted it. They would not have had that opportunity to grow their organization if they hadn't been a Tier 2 organization in a position which they were definitely going to win that national championship. If they hadn't been in a position to win that national championship, it actually gave them the opportunity. It gave them an opportunity that I really firmly believe they wouldn't have had before. Yep, so as I would say, and I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Trust me, I, that's another team I was a huge fan of there. I was so excited when they were the WSA's very first national champions. As I've been saying right. over and over again on my page, the heart of the w and soul of the WSA is the Tier 2. Tier 2 represents to me what the WSA was before the elites came on board. It represents the teams that are not, they're still doing pretty strongly, but are not quite at elite status yet. So, I think, they, so I think Mike, if we, have to go, if we have to go into a debate, I really, the tier systems work because it works in soccer. International soccer, it works. It works in college football, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. The, the the thing that will help the WFA is, as we talked about before, is progression of talent. Because if you are Tier One, for example, for me in my eyes, just from my opinion, if you're Tier One, you are able to put a complete roster, with no doubt that you will that the roster will be complete from start to finish. When you get to a situation where your roster is going to be cut down. Let's say it's 53 as a, an agreement or 45, for an example. But let's say the, the Tier 2 teams can only come up with 25 to 30-man rosters. Then you are classified as Tier 2. And I think that's where the league needs to make a specification because the reality is going to be, just like uh, Callie says, even though it, they're Tier 2, there's, you're not taking anything away from them because all the Tier 2 teams are no different in pride than they are in Tier 1. The only level of differences is going to be skill set at a higher level, more manpower at a higher level than a lower level. And if you take, for example, the uh, Zydeco, okay, uh, at a Tier 3 level, if they were bumped in where there was no tiers, guess where they would be? They would be not even non-existent. So to Kelly's point, uh, the Slam getting noticed for, for having their national championship at a Division 2 level, as an example, and then the Zydeco having their Division Three championship helps them ultimately with promotions, uh, helps them internally with the organization in terms of recruiting. So every team wins if you keep on that tier level. Uh, in Mexico, and you're familiar with this, uh, Michael, the F- uh, FXS, okay, their, their system works the same way. The only difference is they, uh, they, would, they end up bumping a team. Let's say you finish last in Division One in FX, FX, you get bumped out then uh, the, the Division Two winner, like the Vikingas last year, they got bumped to Tier 1. I think that's where the WFA has to, at the end of the year, you have to assess at this point, uh, for example, uh, the Slam being WFA 2 champs, 
now we have to address the organization and say, can you maintain a 45-man roster? And there has to be a deadline to say, we are on board as of this day. You have to have the roster set, and then you are Tier 1. You know what I'm saying? So there's got to be some organizational structure to put in place so that it's all fair across the board. So if you drop off, for example, uh, a tier three, um, tier three teams, just not enough roster to do that. That's okay. They can stay at tier three and be national champions if they if they're good enough. Then they got their platform there. Then the W the W uh, WFA two and WFA one, then you would be able to alternate based on you know recruitment season because it could be a situation where, you know, you don't have a best recruitment and you lose you lose talent and all of a sudden even though you were tier one for so many years maybe because of roster size, you have to be reduced. And that's just an example that I've come across on the international level and obviously, uh, like I just mentioned, FXX in Mexico. So that's, a, that's something that has to be uh, aired out or ironed out in order for the sport to be equal on either level. And then the talent level, as we've talked about in the past, if you go from, let's say, St. Louis from a Tier 2 to a Tier 1, then obviously their talent level is there. If they can make the roster numbers, then the talent level is no different than a DC Diva or a Pittsburgh Passion or a Boston, whoever's at the, the, WF, uh, the WFA1 level. So, uh, I mean, that's, uh, I so think that's the I exciting part of having the tiers. Yes, I agree with you. I wasn't disputing you on that. As I was saying, the, the Slams should have no problem, problem getting six more players this year. Because that's, that's how many they need to get to be eligible for Tier 1, I hear. So they should have no problem getting that many. And you, you were also saying yeah. Zydeco. I, see, that is, I agree with you wholeheartedly. The Zydeco as a team I've been rooting for quite some time there, I was jumping for joy when they won the Tier 3 National Championship. So as I was saying, this is what's going to work out. The tier system, as I was saying, the tier system, I, will, I wasn't disputing the tier system, just so you know. No, no, absolutely. No, good. I, 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 I was yeah, just, go ahead. I was just arguing on behalf of these of these bubble teams. You know, it's it, yeah, yeah, to yeah. Me, the bubble teams. It's even it's even it's even smarter for somebody like St. Louis, even if they can get six players or or ten players. It's even interesting for them to self evaluate for another season and figure it out because even if they get six to ten players, can they? Are they're still building? They're still at a point where they right. could continue to dominate. A tier two, they could continue to be a tier two, tier two, you know, monstrosity, and continue to win national championships, continue to be successful, continue to gain publicity, continue to build a fan base. I mean, let's be honest, this is still sports. Whether we're genuine, gen, generating a revenue or not, which most teams are right. not, it's butts and it's butts and seats that actually pay players' fees that that help us survive. So if they need to ride out another year being okay with being Tier 2, even though I 100% agree they're a bubble team, a team that technically classified should be Tier 1. I've played with a lot of those girls in the Women's World Games, and they're phenomenal. I'm going to go ahead and give her a shout-out. Taylor Hay, she's a phenomenal athlete. She's a phenomenal football player. And she's somebody who's, in my mind, a Tier 1 caliber player. And I'm sure there's tons of people that you could say on St. Louis Slam who are. However, if we're thinking about the survival of the sport, the survival of the organization, I personally think it's smart for them to continue to be a Tier 2 team for a season or two so that they can gain what the Divas have been blessed with for a few years, and that's roster, not just roster size, but roster depth. A situation that the Tier, the, and, and, and again, we talk about Tier 1, Tier 2, there's still 
I think, cracks in the Tier 1 system. There's still weaknesses in the Tier 1 system of teams that still can't compete but think they can. And But because they can't, because they can't say that they were playoff caliber teams or couldn't go far enough, aren't able to get – uh, recruitment processes, et cetera, because they have no, they have no reputation. They don't have this. Um, for, so for St. Louis to make a St. Louis and some of these other teams that are in tier two and, 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 and like we talked about tier three, ride that out until you can find a way to build not roster size, but depth, both honestly, obviously to meet the qualifications to build a reputation for your team so that you can compete on the tier one level. There's no point in coming to tier one just to play eight games. That's not what these right, girls exactly. are signing up to do. Exactly. These girls want a ring. They want a championship or at least a shot at it. So for them, there's no point in just jumping into tier one just to say I'm a tier one team. That doesn't mean anything after eight games. It means something if you jump into the playoffs and compete and contend for a title. But, Michael, I totally and, and you know what, Michael? Yeah, I mean, you know, Michael, their ride this past season was a credit, you know, beating Kansas City on the ride to the playoffs. You know what I mean? Kansas City considered basically yep. almost well, tier one. So, I mean, so I said, that was an exciting ride for them. Said, but I was thinking, so what I was thinking of was about tier systems. I said this plan needs to tier one because, well, they were dominating the other tier two teams in that area. Look, so pretty yep. much as long as the slam stayed tier two, I honestly wonder what, the, wonder what I would say to the other tier teams in tier two because I honestly feel like the slam – as long as they're in Tier 2, they're going to be national champions. And, Michael, you know what? I agree with you. I mean, that's okay, that's okay that. because, yeah. I, and I think that that's, I think that's the frustrating point that we're at. But also, like I say, we're in the sweet spot. But, of course, there's always going to be, you know, complications to that. But that's the, that's the reality of the sport, I think. And I think that we – you know, with this tier system, it's a perfect solution to an imperfect solution. I think that it's the right yeah. way to go. I think it's the only correct way to try and, and figure this out. Uh, but I agree completely. I, I think that you create in any way, like I said, it's a perfect solution to an imperfect solution in the sense that yeah, yeah. you're still going to be isolating teams that don't have the opportunity to build themselves. But St. Louis will eventually through the cycle. This is this is not this was not a quick fix. It's a longevity cycle of over years and seasons and so forth that St. Louis will develop into a tier one team and then they'll be in tier one and then those other teams will have a chance to win the tier two title and then eventually develop. And so we're looking at a growth. You know, the best way to put it and, and, and I love I love Oscar that you bring Sam into the mix. Sam's a dear friend of mine and her vision is not in the first two years. You know, she's building a pipeline for right. NFL, and she's not thinking within the first two years. She's thinking five to ten years down the road. And yeah. I understand that our sport is at this really, really crucial spot right now where things need to be done. But we also have to be thinking as well as being relative and, and cognizant of what's going on in front of us. But I think the tier system works five seasons down the road. I think it starts to develop and pay off five seasons down the road because these tier two teams build, develop organize, figure it out, grab sponsorships, grab money, grab funding, figure out, and then move forward. And it just takes some time. I will, I will, really big... no, go ahead. Uh, I, I will say that the, 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 um, what do you call it? The kinks, as to your point, have to be worked out internally within the league because you have to spec- specify within the, the tiers work because it's also part of development. If you go to from division three to division two, for example, uh, let's take the slam, for example. Uh, we've already confirmed here 
that their caliber of play or their team effort or their you know coaching mentality is more of a tier one system, which they compete in tier one because they they proved it against Kansas City. They proved it you know with uh, the tier one uh, the tier one teams that they were on the schedule with. So they played very competitive ball, or they beat them. So that's fine. That's a good level. But uh, long-term is what you're talking, Callie. Long-term is yeah. it's better for them to say we're six-time WFA2 national champions. You know what I mean? In yeah, terms of marketing, in terms of organization, versus to say, well, we compete in the playoffs every year, but we never won anything. So that right there, when you're, when you're, you know. Yeah, and when you're looking at league ownership, and, and Michael, you can back me up or not with this, but when you're looking at league ownership, you know, Lisa King is – She's been embedded in the sport for a very long time. But with that being said, she's been embedded in a lot of different changes that have happened in women's football. And I think she's also trying to, you know, from a league perspective, everybody is trying to feel out a better system than what they have dealt with. And uh, this seems to be, you know, it's going to take some time. It's going to take, unfortunately, as we all know, whether it be playing sports or whatever, sometimes you got to run a play to see that it doesn't work. Again, in a metaphoric right. sense, uh, and I, can't, I think that's kind of the system that we're in right now. Is, is we're going to run some plays, and and as a league, they're going to try and make continue to make the best play call for that situation. And if it doesn't work, you know, we figure it out. But everybody, I'm hoping at least, and and bringing Carolina in the mix, bringing Baltimore in the mix, and anybody else who comes over before before the time is relevant, you know, is hopefully going to be putting their minds together on on how we can further this and and perfect this tier system to the point that there are and I've spoken to you know another team, West Michigan. I've spoken to a lot of the girls. A lot of it is internal to their organization. But that's the point. This will exploit those things, exploit those opportunities, exploit those weaknesses. It's like they want a SWOT analysis, but you got to be put in that situation to be able to make that proper analysis. Still there, Michael? Yes, I am. All right. Um, so, okay, Mike, what do you take away? What do you, What did you take away from last season? Can you give us like maybe three high things that you that stood out to you last season? Um, you know, three things that that you think. Let's just go a WFA first. What was it? Maybe three things that stood out to you throughout the season? Um, you know, in terms of the WFA. First off, I think what stood out to me was about, about the first-year teams and the pretty much b- virtually brand-new markets doing very well. Because first off, you have the Alabama teams such as the Alabama Fire and the Richmond Black Widows, even the Southern Oregon Lady Gates. You had those teams, first-year teams in markets which have not been historically women's football powerhouses, but yet they still did, yet they still did strongly. They still, they still had some good runs this season. In fact, the, the Fire Act, the Alabama Fire actually beat the, beat the Atlanta Phoenix in one of their games this year and won, won that and won that division title. Then you have the Richmond Black Widows who went to the Division Three National Championship, Tier Three National Championship. So I'd say the new markets doing, I'd say the brand new markets succeed thriving is where I think was one first thing that stood out. Second thing that stood out, I would say, would be. Second thing that stood out, I would say, would be the would be the upset would be the upsets which happened in the inter tier in the inter tier games. Yeah. The upsets which I 
first off, with the teams which, despite their track, despite going on these track, long trips, ended up getting the win. You have, for example, the Chicago Force going all the way to Boston and beating the Renegades in the regular season. And on the flip side, you have the Renegades beating the Force in the playoffs. Then you have teams like, then you have, as I brought up, the Fire beating the Phoenix or the St. Louis Slam beating the Kansas City Titans. So those that's, those upsets, those upsets, I think, are another highlight of the season. The third thing I would say. Yeah, I mean, to me, to me that stood out a lot was, was the coverage that we got all year in terms of uh, local print media, social media buzz, uh, you know, the fact that we got the Divas recognized two years in a row. Uh, they've gone to the White House. You know what I mean? It's just uh, that's, that's one of the things that stood out to me in terms of making huge in strides. I think the playoffs, to your point, were also awesome because you got to see uh, competitive football in the playoffs more so, and it wasn't lopsided like it was in most years before. Um, now it started to be more competitive in that aspect of it. Um, and then we got, to, we got to witness a lot of things on social media that we've never done before, you know, Facebook Lives after interviews for certain, uh, certain uh, teams that were doing really well with that, uh, interacting with Periscope. Um, so the, a, lot of the, a lot of the teams uh, really need to start looking at the social media aspect of it because it's not cost, there's no cost there, but it is time-consuming. So it's just a matter of getting – somebody within the teams to really emphasize that and do a good job. And then that will bring to the forefront more information on, you know, you know, on the social media timelines on the, you know, especially like on Facebook and Twitter and get you more uh, notice in that aspect of it. And, you know, you got to witness, uh, you know, Dallas and uh, to me was the highlight of the whole year is uh, Divas Dallas on a rematch in game two um, to me, that that was huge. You know, that's an example of commitment on both squads, even though the cost is there still. But there was a commitment there, and I think if the league does that, it's sort of like uh, your you know your rematch of the Super Bowl games. Um, that hypes uh, people up too. So um, that's my three points. Uh, Hall, um, Callie, what was some of your three points that you saw last season? You know, uh, my first one was the rematch in the opening uh the opening game of the season i think that that's essential i think that's what that's what people wanted to see you know they wanted to see dallas cdc again but they wanted to see it not on neutral ground but at somebody's home whether it be dallas um you know and and I, of course i liked that it was in dc i didn't like that that i was still out for that game but uh, i think that was a huge firework set off um you know for the season it definitely woke up a lot of people. It made people start thinking and start talking again. I mean, the league was hyped after that. That I liked. Um, and, and I'm not sounding biased, but I think that, again, the next week, you know, we go up and, and, and we take it to Boston. I think that that, again, started the rumblings. It started people talking again about women's football, even within the league, even teams that weren't in those mixes. And then I really think that the biggest thing that we can take away, as we've already talked about, is some of those teams winning national championships. And, and bringing more voice to to the game. And whether it be, you know, Tier 1, W Bowl 1, whatever it may be, championship or 2 or 3, it didn't matter. What it did for those teams that didn't have a vo- I think they didn't have a voice before. Um, they're now able to go to community events and say we're national champions. We're, we're, we've done this, we've done this. I think that that was huge. I think that that's something that we haven't been able to see in a while. You know, the IWFL did the tier thing before. 
Um, you know, when I met some people years ago, they were saying, oh, we were tier two champions back in Austin or Round Rock when that's where the championship was held with the IWFL. That was something that people took a lot of pride for, and it built up their organization. It brought competition. So being able to bring that to the sport, I think, is such a high point for those teams, for this league, for women's football, to be able to publicize that. Um, those are definitely huge events to me this season that, that kind of rocked the core and, and have pushed us forward in a big way. All right, Michael, I'm going to put you on the spot right now. Uh, Lisa King is sitting right next to you. What are three things that you want to see this coming up 2017? First off, I want to see, first off, I want to see a more, more clarified communication with the fans regarding what all classifies the tiers. Because, because as we're saying, because, because as we're saying, I'm seeing more things more from your perspective, but I want the fans to know more, more what's going on. Secondly, I would like them to go, I would like them to have us to actively seek out certain, to actively seek out some markets there, because rumor has that there are a few, a couple other brand new markets that are going to be joining WFA next, next year, because I, because we just saw announced today with the Utah Wildcats from Ogden, Utah, we're playing Weber State Stadium, which is going to be the biggest in American women's football. And the third thing I would ask, the third thing I would cut, the third thing I would suggest that she did would be to, would be also to kind of bring a, was cut, would be to let the people know, would be to get, get some feedback from the fans as far as what they think of the Massey ratings, because I know a lot of us were confused about that. And we were upset that teams with better records got lower spots than teams with worse ones. Well, we could, and, and, and personally, I, I like all of those questions. I like I like all of those things, and would also be intrigued in those. The Massey thing is something that I, I don't ranking system, but I think the Massey is the closest. Um, I actually got a chance to sit with Neil, who is our. Uh, very intricate and obviously the Divas organization, but also women's football. And he's not a biased guy when he writes things. He's, he's pretty, he's pretty straight to the point, but I think I agree with him about Massey for one reason. Um, not just one, but, but mostly for one reason. And, and it's always, it's still sometimes kicked us in the throat in playoffs, but strength of schedule. I think strength of schedule is, look, you start to look at it in the college spectrum. You start to look at it in other spectrums where strength of schedule isn't as high up. But women's football is so teetered in, in just a sense of, like, we always play the top teams in the country, especially this season is a perfect example. Seeing Dallas and going straight to Boston a couple of weeks later going going to Chicago, you know, we, we played a lot of really serious games. Therefore, if we dropped one to Dallas and then having to go and then go beat Boston and then go beat Chicago, both in their home places, our strength of schedule helped us in the ranking system as it should have, because we played harder teams than a lot of other, other teams were seeing. If you're eight and at the end of the season, but you haven't really played anybody that ever challenged you. And it's clear because you ran 56 points average um, of offense every game. Yeah, I see that you are 6-0 and and you're obviously doing things right, but you haven't played anybody who's given anything to you. Massey rating really plays in strength of schedule, which is only fair because if we're playing, if, if six games out of the season we're playing people who are going to have some of the best defenses in the country and we're still beating them, we're still doing this, but we drop 
you know, to Dallas or whatever. You know, I think strength of schedule is such an important part of it, and Massey is a big emphasis on strength of schedule. And that's where a lot of those ratings come from. Yeah, you're seeing teams with better records, but you have to find a way to, you know, to, to figure that out because strength of schedule, like, I, I don't care if you're 8-0 if you never played anybody. We're 7-1 and one and we actually played everybody. We should be ranked above you. Or if we're 6-2 if we're and two and we played way better caliber teams than you, we should still be ranked above you. We, we, we are potentially the better team than you. You're also looking at other factors like points scored against, et cetera, that are shoved into the algorithm. But I think strength of schedule is a huge category when it comes to ratings. Okay, no, I agree. I, I think it's we we have to have a starting point. We have to have a starting point for some sort of a normal, so where where everybody can just say, okay, this this is what it is, and I think that's a starting point there. The strength of schedule really should be the biggest factor. It happens in college football. It happens at every level of sport. Um, and if it, it in order for you to be taken seriously, that's probably one of the best gauges. But then on the other side, you have the teams. But then, then on the other side, you have some teams who have no choice. Where they don't have any choice, much choice regarding their schedule. You have their South teams regardless. Teams like Boise, teams like Boise State, or what TCU was prior to joining the Big Twelve. You have teams like, you have teams like those, which are real. You, like will, which they you know are what? Really I will tell you right now. Uh, Michael, in a perfect world, we'd all have blooms and roses everywhere, but it isn't a perfect world. So we have to take what a little bit imperfect system that works and work with it. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think, uh, you know, when you get to that, to that level where you're, where you're debating, hey, the Boise States because they play in a lower conference and it's not as tough as a conference, I, I mean, I, 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 you can't debate it. That's what I'm saying. But with the same token, the system is what it is. So it's either – you know, you have to, you know, schedule a better schedule and really come over the top with it. Um, so, you know, college football is a huge debate. Too bad Troy isn't here right now, but <laughs> the expert that he is. Uh, but in, in terms of women's football, Mike, uh, we have to start with something. So that means if, if, if you're credible in Massey, for example, and you're consistent and your strength of schedule, to Callie's point, is pretty top-notch, then at least you can debate the fact that, okay, they, they, they have played tougher competition. They have played, you know, better talented comp. You know what I mean? So there's kind of like a, 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 a gauge, in other words, to do that. Um, for me, the three things that I would ask Lisa is, you know, and from my point of view is uh, how are we going to enhance the website? The, web, the website is outdated. We really need to get somebody – we need to commit somebody to the website – where it is more NFL-like in terms of highlighting players, not you know, not stats so much, but not just stories so much, but players. And I, what I'm talking about is like uh, maybe it's a day after or whatever, but the commitment from the from the clubs to come up with maybe three top games every week, so that when fans go to the website, they can say, oh, wow, these are the top three teams in the, in the country, or, three, or maybe one team showcase from each region, as an example, or one, one team showcase from each tier. That would be my, you know, my asking of that. Then the other thing would be uh, not so much stats, but maybe uh, as the season progresses, maybe we need to maybe um, go local and ask maybe local press to see if they can commit to a season 
with a team or teams nearby so they can actually you know put up some stories you know it's exclusive stories of game to game you know just like just like the NFL does game center with with an overlay of a game maybe come up with uh, the match of the week, which the league can decide or the fans decide the match of the week, and then at that point try to get somebody locally to come up with the spot, spotlight feature for a certain player. You know, we're talking, we're talking a lot of talented players in this league. You know, uh, uh, Congetta Grisby, if we're talking just D.C., for example, Ashley Wisenhut, we got top-notch quarterbacks almost in every point, Roseanne Gore, you got Tiffany Hill, um, you know, uh, Chantel Wiggins, I mean, you name it. We got a lot of talented women out there playing football, and they're not getting showcased in press. So my thing is the challenge that I would say for the WFA next year is to try to uh, somehow go into the local markets where your teams are a little higher marketed and, and try to get somebody to cover you. Maybe it'd be a low-end media. It's not going to be like the Washington Post or the Examiner, but somebody lower end than that, but still come up with a story to showcase the players whether it be on video format, which is like a Facebook Live interview or something, or um, press and stuff. And then the other thing is, you know, refine the tier systems, as we have talked about here. For me, it's just let's refine the tier system. Is it going to be roster-based? Is it going to be, you know, can you maintain the roster? Will it be market-based, you know, you know cost-wise, the schedule? It's, a, it's serious discussions, in other words, to move the sport forward. That's the things that I, I think I want to see in the next, you know, for the next season. And I'm talking about both, not just the WFA, but the IWFL in itself as well. Uh, those are the conversations, you know, that need to be uh, addressed for me. Okay. That's some big, big things should go going on there. They stress an imperfect system there. But as we're saying, as we're saying, that hopefully hopefully they will address these they will address a few of these things because let me tell you one let me tell you one thing as much as I harp on the league there gotta say the WSA is still the best league that's out there in the USA right now they're still the one that cares about putting out that reaches out to the teams and really cares about putting out a good product. Yeah. If you had to rate it, Michael, would you say would you, if you had to rate the leagues? Then at this point, you are rating it higher. Because in my eyes, I think that's the case. Um, I mean, I don't want to mock the IWFL for anything, but uh, I mean, if you had to market, if you had to market tomorrow as a business guy to somebody of a sponsorship, you would probably market the WFA, right? Yes, I yes I would because did you I mean did you see that big jump for example because they have more of the there and I that is why I really hope that Utah Wildcats said I really hope that they have W Bowl two weekend is is in Ogden at Stewart Stadium. They really deserve the bigger stage. Yeah, I agree. I mean it's and it's a, it's a, but you know we're talking about uh, a lot of positives here. That's the one thing I want to make sure everybody takes away from our conversation today. We're, we're, we're passionate about the positives that are coming forward, you know, uh, opportunities. Uh, you're always going to have a feeder system. I think that's where everybody needs to understand that there's always going to be a feeder system. The interest to play uh, women's football is always going to be there. And it's even more so now. I mean, um, if you guys go check out our Facebook page this week, we have like seven stories on girls just on boys uh, teams that are kickers. It's, a, it's like the 
excitement. And then you got uh, you have girls also now playing offensive or defensive, uh, you know, positions on boys' teams. So the interest isn't going away, in other words. It's just a matter of, you know, h- how do we get to the next level? Because as, as Callie and, you know, um, Allie and uh, Lisa and Jen and Odessa, I mean, th- uh, their responsibility now is to get it to the next level. As Sam is internally now, the, 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 the conversation now at their, at their level is they got to get it to the next level within the next couple of years because the, the girls behind them, everybody that's interested, everybody that's coming be, behind them it, it already has interests. So the inspiration's already there. It's just a matter of laying the foundation now on a national uh, level of awareness and also getting some backing. Once that happens, it's almost no different than women's soccer. You know what I mean? It's a matter of just getting the word out there and everybody's going to start to realize that they can play this sport and they can do it at a high level. And, oh, by the way, this is what we can inspire for. Just take, uh, take a look at uh, Kelly. I don't know if you guys – or Michael. I don't know if you guys have been following, but take a look at the WNBA excitement. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Sparks fan. I've been a Sparks fan since day one because I'm a Laker fan. And just the just just to admire like the Lynx winning the championships, and then at play, uh, watching the games this past weekend, the last you know the last four uh, four games or so, just watching the games. If you're not a fan of the WNBA, you're like just you know blowing it off. But when you're a fan of the sport and the amount of play and the quality of play. It has elevated themselves. I mean, they're 20 years in. Now the game has been elevated to a higher level. So you have to respect that. And I think that's where we're at now. We're at that level of respect. So once the pioneers of, of the women's uh, football in the U.S., because that's where its birth is at, once the, that, this gets established into a higher level of respectability, um, a lot of players are coming over. I mean, I talked to Odessa Kelly last week. Uh, Michael, I talked to Odessa last week. And I mentioned one thing to her, and, and I explained to her, we have international players coming to play in the States. We had players from Australia, from Sweden, from all over the world now wanting to come to the U.S. during the U.S. season to play on U.S. teams. So, I mean, that right there makes you credible. In my eyes, that is credibility right there. The fact that players from overseas want to come to play here and and given the fact that you're not even NFL yet, but in their eyes, you are the NFL. So huge responsibility, don't you think, Kelly? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great point to make, too, because, you know, I, I've played with a few of those players who are now playing domestically and doing whatever they can to play domestically. And a lot of these women are leaving everything that they have in in their respective country to come here and play, whether it be just for the season or whether it be for, you know, to try and, you know, literally reinstill their life here in the States. And their passion and their reasoning behind it is football. And that's phenomenal. That means a lot to us. It's inspiring being able to play next to those women and then be so honored to the point where they want to be able to play next to you is, is a huge honor. It's extremely inspiring, but on, you know, taking it away from that, it means that we're moving at least somewhat as much as we can. And I like what you said, Oscar, like we're, we're still trying to be positive. I think that's one of the biggest positives you can take from it. We must be doing something right. You know, we must be doing something right. And we have to find a way to continue to move along that groove. Yes, sir. Exactly. Case in point there, my favorite, my favorite player for the Chicago Force this past season was Mariella Weiser. She came all the way from the Czech Republic to come play at 
someplace for the floor. Oh yeah. And I said that's such good story. She's gonna talk about she's gonna talk about this she's gonna talk about this experience there. We'll see if we'll see if the force or some other other WFA team reaches out to her next season. Yeah, and Maybe I mean right, uh, here's a perfect example. Here's a perfect example that we haven't even talked about. We had a couple players on the Indy Crash team go overseas to Finland to play at the Maple Series, which is their highest level. You know, it's basically their WFA. And we're talking about Leah Kozla, Kozla uh, from the Indian, uh, Indianapolis uh, Crash, and she played on the on the Turco uh, Trojans squad as well. So it's not just you know the players coming over here, but there's also players going overseas to kind of showcase the talents that we do have here. So it's it's really exciting to see that. I love that aspect of the game. That is one reason why. That is one of the reasons why I've decided to have my page, give my page an international focus to do the fan arts and the recaps for the international players in season. So the, the other, so the, my ultimate goal is to make sure that every player of women's football around the world is connected with every other player in season. Yeah, you can join us then, because that's that's our project right there. A project in a nutshell. That's why we. That's why our slogan is "No Joke Football," because that's really what it is. These, uh, internationally, as well as the states, uh, all these players play the fo- you know play football, and, and the game is no joke. So that's really what our slogan is. That's what we've been doing for four and a half years now, and uh, there's a lot of players that are passionate about it. Um, you know, from Australia with the new the new uh, national team in Australia. There's, uh, in, I believe, in Sweden. There's, there's, you know, emerging teams there. In France, emerging. Italy put up their first national team. Uh, they played against Spain. Uh, this past what uh, last month, you had the uh, British, the British BAFA women taking on Spain as well in the uh, in the finals of the Euro. So I mean, there's just a lot of excitement. And then you still have Germany as an established, you know, center base for for women's football too. So. Um, just good times. I uh, Australia, Poland, Czechoslovakia. The U.S. Army base is there. And that's yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, the German leagues are no different than the WFA in, in terms of, uh, you know, um, scope. It's really big. And then, you talk, and then you, we haven't even touched Mexico and Canada. So, I mean, it, we cover – I mean, I'm so proud to be able to network with a lot of people to cover the sport on a global base that it really opens your eye to the passion that, uh, as Kelly mentioned earlier, to the passion that a lot of players, not just in the States, have for the sport, but internationally. They have, you know, they, they, they will sacrifice to either come play here or they'll sacrifice to really start a team. And it's just, it's just inspiring. Exactly, which is why I hope – that is also why I hope that there are more than six teams competing at next year's World Women's Football Games. Because there have been, because women's football has built up a presence across so many more nations since those last games. So I'm hoping we get a wider pool of representation. Let's just hope. Let's hope IFAB gets their act together here with this broken uh, two um, organizational system that they've got going on in the last year. So you know, hopefully that doesn't collapse in itself. I mean, I don't want to go negative here, but at the same time, it's realistic. Um, and then given the fact that they got Olympic status at this point and then they broke off in two pieces. Um, so if, you know, IFAB, if you're listening, you know, get your organization in place because it's really needed, uh, especially for the women's game to go forward. Uh, can you imagine, Kelly, uh, maybe an Olympic 
not 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 a world championship format, but an IFAB now in, a, in an Olympic format, that would be huge. Well, well, last time I left, when I left Finland in 2013, our IFAB representative told us that that's the direction that we were heading in a very certain manner. And then, you know, that's that's why I couldn't agree with you more. I hope things get put together here pretty soon because that was the mission, the motive, and everybody was working in that direction and. Hopefully we can get back on that on that level. Um, I think that we're if we continue to build this domestic product as well as the growth of everything internationally, I think what Sam and USA Football have done with the Women's World Football Games that we've hosted every year to continue to grow the sport uh, based on the phenomenal coaching that we have in the United States to enrich the coaching international. I think that John Konecki, uh going over to Australia to run that training camp with the Australian national team, if those steps continue, I think that that's the direction that we're headed. I'm very confident in that. But we have to stay the course. We have to fight the good fight. And we have to continue to see the bigger picture. Uh, we get very caught up sometimes in what we have going on domestically that we forget that there is sometimes a bigger picture. And uh, and I think that if we continue to stay the course, that, yeah, I, I, I thought about it when we were on the flight home from Finland that, and and I was extremely – my heart was full in the fact that I thought that that was totally a possibility, and I still think it is. Yeah, and it, it's just – it's going to be a commitment on IFAB to kind of, like, come together, you know, um, in terms of one leadership. And this past uh, weekend or so, uh, it was announced that uh, the head of IFAB will now come from the Canada uh, organization, Football Canada. So, you know, congratulations to them. And they understand the intangibles as well because they're dealing with the Maritime and the Western Women's Canadian Football League. And obviously now um, being head of IFAB, he's basically uh, going to have to take some sort of time to come to the States and kind of address both leagues and the States just to move the sport, the sport forward. I think that's really great. Um, I know down south, from my conversation with a lot of people down south in terms of Mexico, the uh, Mexican Federation of, of Football, um, you got Lexfa and FXX, and they're ready to try to field the national team as well. So they're getting closer to that. So at some point, North America is going to have three teams competing. You know, they have Canada, U.S. States, and Mexico. And that's going to be great. And then you got Australia and the overseas team. So um, with that point, let's address. Uh, Michael's been covering FXX uh, Mexico. Um, I don't. Michael, have you been covering Lexfa too, or not? I would be covering Lexfa. But I need to find a list of of their women's ca- full ca- full equipped teams. Once I find a list of their, once I find a page and a list of their teams, I'm going to start covering them. Um, yeah, you can you can go to our Twitter feed under list, and you can pretty much find um, Lexfa and all the stuff under there too. Or you can go to. Uh, yeah, because they I have, think it's there's so many football. leagues under their banner. I want to find out. I want to find the women. Yeah, the women's it's, full it's, it's huge. Team. It's huge. Yeah, you can you can literally just you know um, yeah you can spin your head a lot of ways. to the women's both field leagues and which ones are the women's arena leagues. That's hard to say. Yeah, out. no, they have three different levels. They, they got they got the men's level, junior levels, and they got women's levels. No different than Australia, but we can talk about it all. You know, and and you know, discussion on messaging or about that. But let let's let's go into uh, since I got both of you guys on. Let me explain to you what is on. When the NFL is on here, which we have the NFL on, in Australia and in Mexico, you have women's gridiron. So in Australia, we have two leagues that are playing currently, the Queensland League 
and the North uh, uh, New South Wales League. So New South Wales, sort of an intangible smaller league. Uh, it's eight on eight, uh, where Queensland's also, I believe, nine on nine, if I'm correct. They haven't gone to 11. And the great news is, about three weeks ago, Gridiron Victoria becomes the staple squad and organization that will elevate their play this next summer to 11 on 11. So Kelly, uh, you know, most people start with seven, they go to nine, and all of a sudden now in Australia, because of the excitement of the women's Outback team, Gridiron Victoria, because of the huge interest between rugby and other aspects of, you know, the AFL over there, that people are now interested into Gridiron. So it's got to it's got to be you know exciting the fact that they have committed to 11 on 11 now and so that right there puts them on a, a, a huge excitement because now they're internationally equal. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's great. Um, I think the way that you put it is pretty pretty spot on in the sense that this excitement has kind of created this. Um, but it's it's kind of the the universalizing of of the game. It's bringing everybody onto a similar plane. It's allowing them to learn the game from an 11-on-11 perspective, which they're not accustomed to, but ultimately puts them in a, in a chance and a, and a possibility in a level playing field with everybody internationally. It's universalizing the game, personally, I think, um, in, in my way of, of looking at it. And, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think it's kind of cool to see that it happened so fast and so rapidly. I like the excitement. I like where it's going, and I'm excited to kind of see how, how it goes for them. Yeah, and, and the beauty of the whole thing is that they committed to the Outback team, and Jen went out there, and Anthony Stone went out there, and um, Coach Konecki went out there. Um, you have uh, the base of, of in Australia was basically Queensland, which is basically the, you know, the hub of the gridiron scene is Queensland. So that's where we – have focused our efforts as well since we started. We have great support. Uh, Lauren Evans from the quarterback from the, um, you know, multiple, multiple time champion from the golden, um, the Gold Coast Stingrays. And then obviously this special K, which is um, uh, Christian Moran, which is just a beast out there from the Logan City Jets. So, you know, I couldn't be more grateful to them for obviously supporting us and, and helping us out. But at the same time, I'm really excited to, to see the growth of them growing to the 11 on 11 because that really expands. And I think next year Queensland will go there. And then the year maybe after will be new South Wales, which is the three top organizations in there in terms of Australia. Um, so let's go. Um, I'm going to go into the scene here. The, the week it's October 15th, week 10 in the women's game in great iron Queensland uh, saw the Ravens defeated the Spartans 54 to six Ravens third place. Now, they're uh, in the hunt for the playoffs. This was the Cinderella story from last year. They were the team last year that surprised everybody. Their inaugural season, and they almost uh, they lost in the finals. So it's it's kind of fitting that they they're hungry to come back. Okay, and then the Jets defeated the Thunder 30 to 24. Always a good matchup there because most of the players from the Thunder are a combination of players from the Gold Coast Stingrays and the, and the Jets. So they kind of merged in that aspect of it. So a lot of the players were some season players. So the team is not necessarily new, but, but the, I mean, the team is new, but the players aren't necessarily new to the game. So that makes it very competitive. So the standing so far after week 10 at this point, in terms of the women's division, uh, you have uh, the seven and O uh, Jets with the one draw, which they met, they met, uh, matched up with the one draw and Stingray seven and O 
with no losses, uh, no uh, draws. Ravens, they're five and two and one with the one draw against the Jets, which is competitive. And this they get edged 30 to 24. So the Jets and Ravens, pretty much the uh, rivalry in this Queensland division, in this Queensland league. And then after that, you pretty much fall off the face of the earth because it's the Spartans and Raptors and Saints with one or zero wins. But the top three teams in, in this league is, are, are amazing. Um, Michael, have you followed Queensland at all? Unfortunately, I have, I have not yet. But I kind of, I've been trying. I've been working on expanding her to the European leagues there. But I'm going to get right to that as soon as the show is over. Yeah, it's an exciting league. It's a hotbed. It's a hotbed in Australia. So it's great. I'm going to start my coverage of them awesome. as soon as this show is over. I'm going to start doing the setups and look at the matchups and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. I mean, um, you covering the Mexican League, I can tell you right now, a lot of people are very happy that you've done that. We we actually re, re, um, you know shared your post from your page onto our Gridiron page. And uh, the last week or so, I've been getting feedback on the fact that uh, I did not know you spoke Spanish, but that's uh, an applause and a golf clap to you right there because it was translated in Spanish, and a lot of the girls really appreciated that. Un poco. Sí, sí, son. Yeah, I can speak Spanish I the best say, room, too, know, but I, I didn't there, really There was actually one Spanish. game which I uploaded today. There's actually one final score which I had actually uploaded this morning there. So, but yeah, it's, it's what you're saying there. A lot of – that was my goal because, honestly, you look at these – some of these venues, they are just really tiny. They play, they play with their hearts out in venues which are pretty tiny. So, there, I'm happy to be giving – it's a real joy to be giving them some international coverage so people will know that about this game. They'll get the publicity at the Yeah, we've been, and we've been doing it for, we've been doing it for four years now. And um, so the, the uh, commissioner of the uh, FXX Mexico, uh, she's very, very passionate. She used to play also, but she's very passionate. Um, you know, I want, I, I want to put her on the same, you know, kind of passion that Lisa King has going forward with this league and, you know, Jen has and everybody else. And she's very passionate about growing the sport and making it, you know, a dominant league. And they've done that over and over. And they've, they've played tournaments versus other uh, leagues like Lexfa and Akafa and everybody else down south. And they're still the dominant league. They have the better talent and everything else. So yeah, I've got to give credit to her because she's done a great big job advantage in terms of being, working being and big, getting her. That's a big advantage being in what I think is going to be the largest, being in the largest being based around the large, which I think is is probably possibly the biggest city in the world, is a strong point there. And honestly, that's going to. Oh yeah. yeah. And that's also another good point. Was another good thing, upsetting stone for them was that they're playing. What was those division systems there? You brought up about how the Vikings won last year's division two and moved up to division one. Well, they're really do, they're doing very well in division one this year. Winning their first two games wouldn't surprise me if they won the division yeah, the one system, title this year as well. The system uh, when I spoke to her last year, the system um, that we that we got into it, um, the system is basically just you know set up for that. Um, so Kelly, I, we're gonna let you go now, and then uh, thanks for coming on and doing co-hosting for us. Um, really Absolutely, appreciate it, Oscar. No problem. Thank you for having me. And we'll look forward to another chat um, during the off season again. And congratulations to you and your team for getting 
um, you know, recognized at the Redskin game. Really, really awesome. Oh, we appreciate it. It was a phenomenal moment for sure. Thank, thank you again for being on board, Callie. It was it was a real joy having this conversation with you there. Thank you. We were able to find some background. Thank you for everything that you do, Michael. We appreciate it. It's a real pleasure. You take care. All right, Kelly, have a safe travels out there. Thank you for making the time and really uh, coming on board today to co-host. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Oscar. Thanks for having me. Have a great night. All right, Michael, so it's just us two birds left here. Uh, got a couple minutes, uh, probably about 20 minutes or so. But as I was telling you, um, the FXX Mexico, really uh, a really good um, – you know, good good league with good leadership, but at the same time, you were talking about Wakinga's going from you know uh, the lower the lower division to the higher division. That's the example I was trying to make uh, when we had the you know, we were having the WFA discussion previously. Is you know how do we gauge that? So the way they gauge it is if they win the championship, they get rewarded to go to the next level, which would be at the bottom, and then whoever finished bottom gets bumped down to the lower level. So in in that aspect, that's that how was, I don't think it has to do with kind any, of like how promotion any, and relegation is done in the soccer leagues. Exactly. And I think that's. I think that honestly, think that that's worked. That's working out pretty well because I can already. I already get a good shape of which teams look like they're going to be promoted, and which team, which team looks like they're going to be relegated. Yeah, and it's a good sign because to them it gives them hope. You know, if you're able to win your division in Division Two, and the, given give them credit. Um, you know, it's kind of inspirational to to win the Division Two, and then all of a sudden you get bumped up to uh, the Division One, and all of a sudden you're doing great in Division One. I. I mean, you gotta give. And even if you finish at the bottom of Division One, then a year or so in Division Two will get your will get should get you back in shape there and ready to looking forward to what's ahead. Yeah, and and so I mean, it's working for them there. Lexford does it a little differently. Uh, I don't think they have uh, the three tier system in Lexford. They only have you know the one t- the the one scope tier system in, in Lexfa. So they don't they can't work it. It's sort of like if you know top four, top five teams make it to the playoffs in a round robin type mentality, then you're in. So it's kinda of disappointing for their lower tiers. But overall that's why they're the top league in in, in Mexico and so they rep, they really represent more what the WFA represents here in the States and that aspect of it. Um Michael, the uh, the other aspect of it, let's talk twenty minutes. So I don't know if you're inclined, but let's do NFL if you can. Um, did you watch any games this past weekend at all? Yes, I, yes, I did. Hold on, just just a moment, please. I'm getting a call on my yeah. home phone. No worries. So, uh, you know, this past weekend we had uh, Chargers, Broncos. Um, it was on uh, Thursday. And so it works out that uh, well, I was, the Chargers I, uh, really I was came in the, to play. I was in the middle of a call on the radio show. On, um, on Denver. So, uh, you know, it worked out really well. The champs lose. Uh, Simeon didn't play as well as he should. And the Chargers in a must win for their coach. Sorry about about that. I was just away. I was just saying to talk. My mom had called me up. I don't know. I'd call her back after this program was over. No worries. Um, If you need to go, let me know now. No, No big deal. Okay. Well, what is it you were saying? No, I was saying if you need to go, let me know now. It's not a big deal. I don't need to go yet. What okay, no problem. So, no, the, the, game, uh, the game I was talking about, Mike, was uh, the Chargers must win. Uh, their coach is 
you know, their coach's uh, livelihood on the line against the Broncos. And uh, 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 Simeon didn't, didn't play as well. And the Chargers literally were in a lead. And then they almost, you know, they gave up almost 10 points in the fourth quarter. So that was kind of like, okay, it's been their season. That's kind of their season the whole time. Injuries bugged them the first couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, Gordon stepped up. Um, and all of you know now you have Benjamin Melvin Gordon, Bradford, 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 Melvin Gordon. We're all proud of this. We're all proud of him. He went to Bradford High School in Kenosha. That's that's a city right below my hometown of Racine. And we went to went to UW went to UW. So I'm really proud to see that he's stepping it up there. Looks like he's going to be he's yeah. going to be the Chargers' best running back since LT. Oh yeah, he, he looks good. He looked good. He looked really good, and, and he's coming back from injury too. So from the you know the last year before that, so he, he's proven his worth so far in the season. But this is actually just, what do you think of the this Chargers? This is actually the second guy to running back. They're up and down. No, I said, what do you think of the Chargers' season? They're up and down. Yes, they are, and this goes for on, and off the field as for off the field as well, because we still have no idea whether or not. Voters are going to approve that referendum for the new stadium, and if they don't, where they're going to go? Yeah, and it's it's really really uh, one of those things where it's it's a sensitive area whether they're going to come up with it or not. I think they probably will. I mean, they've been there a long time; should be able to get a deal done in some format. The, the option is to obviously go to they LA don't, and they still have they still have the option. I think that's because if the referendum fails, then they have the option to join the Rams in LA. Yeah. Um, now let's, you know, Mike. Let's talk about uh, San Francisco uh, and this whole Kaepernick thing that started out at the beginning of the year. Then they put in Gabrick, and all of a sudden they beat the Rams, you know, soundly, twenty-eight to zero. And then ever since then they have been on a slide. Uh, and so now they they bring Cap back this past week, um, you know, amidst everything else that's happened for him in terms of the anthem. But you, you throw all that away now. He didn't play too bad this past weekend, but unfortunately, that Buffalo defense is way good. Yep, the Bills. The Bills they have been really have been really one of those teams which is really up and coming. There, they're one of the teams which I think is going to do pretty, which I think is building for well for the long term. I mean, as we saw when they shut out the Patriots in Foxborough, they have what they have what it takes to be a they have what it takes to be a perennial playoff contender. There, if they can play like they did then. And against the 49ers, I think we're going to see him at least get a wild card spot. Mike, do you believe in Ryan? Because he started off with Jets teams like that before and then just never really finished in the end. So I know they're going to stay competitive with, um, with New England because obviously Miami is just, you know, not that great. And so, I mean, just, it just, maybe it's New England, uh, Buffalo, it's going to be this year. So, but Ryan just doesn't seem that stable like in the Jets. But I'll put my money on Brady before I put my money on Buffalo long term. Um, what did you think of the Redskins and Eagles game? You know, the pretty good matchup there. And, the, you know, the Redskins come out. And then you had Vernon Davis show up this past weekend. Uh, if anybody didn't know, Vernon Davis is in Washington. Oh, yeah. They, get, they beat That was where they showed up. Vernon Davis yeah. showed up there. Kurt Cut. Kirk Cousins did his part there. Kirk Cousins did his part there too. So I'd say the red. I'd say the, the winner of that. I'd say the winner of that game series between the Redskins and the Cowboys is going to win the NFC East. 
Now, how about Wentz? What do you think of Car- uh, uh, Carson Wentz? Carson Wentz. He's a, I still I still think Carson Wentz is the real deal. But as we're seeing, the NFC, the NFC East has gotten a lot more competitive than it was in years past. So even though he might be, he might be, they might be one of the more solid, the Eagles could end up being one of the more solid teams in the NFL, but we wouldn't have any idea about it because they're stuck in this super tight division. Now, we're talking NFC East, to your point, at Dallas behind Prescott takes care of Rodgers, which uh, the yes. Packers oh, did not yes. look very good. That was I mean, the one game point, which I was on. That was the one game which I was unfortunate enough to see. Because uh, you know something, the Packers, my Packers are. That was how we typically play when we're going in Dallas, not when we're hosting the Cowboys at Lambeau Field. Because one thing, one one other coincidence to note there is the Packers lost both the game where Brett Favre had his jersey number number four retired and the game where he got his Hall of Fame ring and was inducted into the Ring of Honor there. Both those games were so you're going on, you're and going both on times, Aaron Rodgers looked like Brett Favre's little backup. You're, you're going on superstition here on me? Honestly, I think, I honestly feel like I'm not really going superstition. I just think it's an amazing, it's an amazing coincidence. That's how you know, I imagine Brett's kind of, has, I imagine Brett's thinking, not easy. Thing, not as easy as it looks, Aaron. That's funny, uh, but at the same time, it's so true. Because if you if you if you break it down like you did, uh, there's no other conclusion, right? The fact that <laughs> that's happening and he's playing not very good on those days. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, what do you think of the quarterback in Dallas? Rogers, would you put Romo back? Would you put Romo back or leave the kid in? I would leave. I want to leave. I want back left in. This is for one reason besides besides football prospects. We know I loathe the Cowboys, and it's, I'm especially I have loathed them ever since the '90s when the Packers were playing in the playoffs. And that is why that's why I was I was pretty I was pretty fed up with the coverage my hometown Journal Times was giving them because of Burlington. Tony Romo is a native of Burlington, which is the other city in Racine County. He went to Burlington High School there, so that's the reason why I was the reason so that I hope Romo will get I hope Romo will go to another team so the Joe Times can stop this Cowboys coverage already. So you're not you're not a real uh, Dallas hater right now. You're not you're not showcasing that you're a Dallas hater. That's what you passionate Dallas. Yep. Obviously, uh, no problem. I have the same feeling. Yeah, I hate Niners, the Cowboys. So I want to see that. Same boat you are. I'm in the same boat you are with the Niners. Um, you know what, Michael? Has have the Raiders surprised you at all this year? I mean, Cooper, Dar, uh, uh, Carr, and and Crabtree. Uh, I would have thought they would have played better against Kansas City, but that Kansas City defense has done a good job so far this year. Even the, the record doesn't show it, but they've played pretty decent stuff for like one game or so. Um, Alex Smith yes, they have the done pretty, pretty well. They have done pretty well. I honestly think the Raiders are at least the Raiders will at least get a wild card, quite possibly the division. If, if they get the division, I honestly predict that the very last NFL game played in Oakland will be a playoff game. 
Because we know that as much as the NFL wants to keep the Raiders in Oakland, eventually the the, the allure of Las Vegas, what Las Vegas brings to the table, is going to be too much to resist. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here. Did you truly believe Miami was going to beat Pittsburgh coming in this weekend? No, I nope, nope, not at all. They were. I honestly, the Steelers are not a team that's going. I thought the Steelers were still the strongest team in the AFC North. I did not expect the Dolphins to to really get that win over them. It was a really old running game. It was the Jaguars to beat the Bears, for that matter. Exactly. Um, The Sunday night game, were you disappointed? Or because at the beginning I was like, man, this is just going to be a bad game, you know, a blowout by the Colts, you know, against the Texans. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get the booze for Osweiler. And somehow, you know, he gets rainbows and a sunlight or something, and he starts putting things together. So, uh, thank God for uh, LeVar Miller, I guess, who saved the game, even though at the end you, you might give credit to the quarterback. And I think the running game and himself alone was the one thing that brought him back. Well, what I can say, that one thing, it was doesn't happen there. The Texans are the best team, are still the best team in the AFC South. They're – the day's going to come when they're. The day is going to come when they're. Well, we're going to see them at least as one of the folks that's going to, teams that's going to get in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was just I was just surprised that they went into overtime. You know, the game didn't seem like it was going to be very competitive, and all of a sudden things just shifted in the second half for Houston. They just needed. They just, they they can still. They are that. They are still the. As I said, they're still the best team in the FC South. It just took a bit, a bit longer than expected to start playing like it. They did, and it paid off. Now, over uh, on Sunday, you had uh, Atlanta, you know, with uh, Matt Ryan and against Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson coming off the bye. A uh, very good record when he comes off the bye, and they, they edged the Falcons. Really good game in that aspect of it. Um, both four, you know, coming in, both, you know, four wins. Um, so it's, you know, the Falcons put up, like, three touchdowns in the third, and they still couldn't win it uh, on uh, Seattle's three field goals pretty much in the fourth. Honestly, so, um, I think that could, be, that, could be a pre- that could be a preview of the NFC Championship game. That is, that's that, what is I was thinking too. Vi- that is assuming somebody finds a way to beat the Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you with that. I think that, that could be the preview there because it's – um, do you, I didn't even anticipate my Rams in a shootout with the Lions. That, I did not anticipate that, and I didn't anticipate um, Case Keenum putting up 30 points on my fantasy team, which I took anyways because I'm, you know, I'm a homer. So I took him on there, and he puts up 30 points for me. I'm like, yeah, and then they end up losing by, you know, they get edged in the end. I'm like, what is going on with this? This this coach, I just hate our coach. I just he is not a killer of killers. You're telling me, I mean, he's always he can't put anybody away. It's just always in the mix, in the mix, and you're gonna lose this way. And after a good ride like that, after getting beat down by Frisco, and all of a sudden now you're, you know, you're riding high, and you can't put away Detroit when you need to put away Detroit. Um, the Lions, the Lions are like, well, the Lions they say are a really competitive team. They just have the mis- they can win the close games. They just have the misfortune of being in the NFC in one of the best divisions in football, the NFC North. 
If they were in any other division, I'd say they'd win it. In, most, in a few other divisions, I'd say they'd win it. But because the Vikings are leading this, and even the Packers are, play, are still, still have our flash. We still have our flashes of greatness this year. I think that's what's the reason why the Lions haven't been doing as doing that well in the standings. What do you think of Carolina, Michael? At this point, they're they're one and five. They're on a reverse mode right now. Um, all those hits I to Cam Newton early in no the season, and all of a sudden Drew Brees pulls out the win. You know about the super? Well, because the Saints have been have been here for the long haul. There, I'm afraid the Panthers. Panthers. Well, you know what they say. About, here's the thing. There's for the last couple seasons or so, both teams have played, for most times, both teams which played in the, either one of the teams which played in the Super Bowl typically doesn't make the playoffs the next year. We had all assumed the Broncos would be that team which fell off. And this year, I'm, I am thoroughly shocked to see how far the Panthers would fall in. Yeah, I'm, think, I'm with you I too, think, but I think it has to do with, I think maybe with player – uh, off-season issues and stuff like that with the players not being as otherwise, I mean, because the Saints have been, you know, they've been playing pretty co- close games, but they've been edged, and now they get they, they edge Carolina, and Carolina hasn't looked good since they since they won against, against San Francisco. Um, the other game that was really yeah, close. Cam Newton's been was, letting the Cam Newton has been I think has been letting the media's comments get to him. Yeah, Doc, I agree. Um, the other game was. Jaguars and Bears, which was kind of horrible. It's kind of like, you know, bottom feeder type games. But the Bears made a game of it, and then they end up losing. I really did like Hoyer. He played pretty well. Bortles has underperformed for me for the, for the year. And so, the, you know, the Jaguars were held to zero point until the fourth quarter. That's when they made their push. So it's, I mean, what do you think of, what's your thoughts on Jacksonville alone this year? Well, the Jaguars are my favorite AFC team. That's because of the con- because of the contest for them, I which I won when I was ten years old. There, they are my they are my favorite AFC team because of the fact that I'm because and so it's always a joy to see this some side some bits of promise in them this season. There, but yeah, they have Blake Bortles really is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in this league. So it's a good, so it's a good thing to see that he's five, that this year he's finally coming in the form. <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm just hoping that Shad Khan will be, will be willing to build a team, or will be willing to build a team around a good team around him there. And because, because as I say, Jacksonville's been one of the shakier markets in the NFL. So and they've been talked, and there were talks for quite some time of them moving to London. So, which I do not. I don't think an NFL team in London would work in any case, but that's a topic for another day. So, yeah, I'm glad to see the Jaguars show signs of promise. And as a Packer fan, I'm glad to see the Bears lose. Well, of course you are. <laughs> that's what I was going to get to next. <laughs> you weren't wishing for the Bears to win, that's for sure. Um, you well, know, no. Michael, do we want to do we want to feel sorry for the Browns this whole season? They've been competitive. You know, even with RG three in and then out, and now they got, you know, they got Pryor, um, they got Crowden out there. I mean, just 
they've been competitive. They just they've been, not been able to pull it They have out. been competitive there and had a good putting all the pieces together. But remember one thing: they're still the Browns. Yeah, I I, I don't think any Cleveland fan wants to take that oh, that tone of voice for yeah. me right now. But they have been competitive, and so I feel bad for them. That's all I'm saying. Uh, they do play in a tough division with Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Just doubt they're going to get out of the cellar at this point. But they did play really good ball against uh, Tennessee. Um, what's your thoughts on Tennessee with Mariota? They're three and three. Um, they're surviving, if anything. They're trying to, you know, trying to stay at 500. Um, what do you see for them? Years from now, you are going to see Marcus. You're, when, when people talk about years from now, when people talk about the great quarterbacks, when people talk about Brett, when people talk about you know Joe Montana, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady, Marcus Mariota is going to be part of that conversation. He just has everything it takes to really lead a team to really get a team going there. So. I'd say the folks in Nashville should be really excited for what's what's ahead for them. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty good in that sense. How about the Giants? Uh, the Giants basically are three and three as well. They've they've you know won a couple close games, but overall, um, you know they they haven't played great great even with their weapons with Shepard and Od- uh, Beckham. Pe- uh, Odell Beckham play, probably played his best game this past weekend. So, um, what do you think of New York? They're a pretty middle-of-the-road team. Unfortunately, that amounts to last place in the super competitive NFC East. That's what so it looks like right be, now. Unfortunately, that's not as good as the other. Not as good as... Not as good as the Cowboys, the Redskins, or the Eagles. Gonna, so I yeah. think that they're they're really going to have to step it. They're really going to have to. They're really going to have to find that flair to them. In all honesty, I really think Eli Manning's days are numbered as a starter. Mike, your opinion of Fitzpatrick and the disaster that is this right now, even with Marshall. If Marshall goes down, like I was pointing out and tweeting out uh, on Monday, if Marshall goes down, this team is just a mess. And with Fitzpatrick getting the amount of money he's getting and not producing, he might he might as well bring his beard back. It's probably the only hope they have. Well, as I say, once you know it, they're still the Jets. So. Were you, impre- were you so impressed been... with Arizona? Very impressed. But I'm hoping that they should that, – because that is team – Bruce Arians really runs, really runs a solid system there. And I'm hoping I'm – I'm hoping Carson Palmer really recovers from his hamstring injury. Because he yeah, has both been both in the such contenders there. Last year's playoff game between them and the Packers, that, the game between them and the Packers, they've been really they – were, they were a really truly worthy opponent. The last time they were this good – they were the Chicago Cardinals. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. But they they haven't they they haven't played you know the good ball that they've played in the last two years. They still they still need to elevate their game here, especially with Seattle. If they rebound off there, the Rams are still 
you know, a 500 team, I don't think they're going to compete for the division, but they're still competitive right now with what they have in terms of a defense. Offensively, they're mediocre, but, you know, they still have some firepower. Um, let's go to next week, Michael, before we get out of here, because we've got about nine minutes to get out of here. And I really appreciate you coming on and being part of the show today and um, kind of get, bring the awareness to the women's game as well for the, you know, for the time that we okay. did today. And uh, Callie to coming in and help us out as well. So let's let's fine tune next week, everybody. Don't don't worry. Next week we get the great Troy, uh, Troy Wilson who'll recap the college game from last week and this this past weekend. So we'll put it all in perspective in terms of the poll numbers, in terms of who's in for the Heisman and all that stuff. So Troy Wilson will be back next week uh, right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. But in the meantime, let's go to this coming week, Thursday night. Packers, Bears. I know you're going for the Bears at this point, Mike, because I know you're a passionate Bears fan. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did you just say? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Aaron Rodgers rebounds. Say? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, I think Rodgers, Rodgers is going to have to find, find a way to, rate, to rebound there because Packers will be trying to get payback for their embarrassment this season. But here's the Here's another thing you should look out for. For the first time in a really long time, the Packers are going to be wearing white for the NFL's color rush. They're going to be wearing their white jerseys, and they're going to start wearing white, and they're going to wear white pants too. Meanwhile, the Bears are going to be wearing monochrome navy blue. So, well, on the field. so, so the this winning, will be a game winner, you don't want to miss. And, and yes, yes, so yes. the winner of this game is. I still, got, I still right have now? to go with the Packers because the teams they teams they lost to the Vikings or Cowboys at least they're they they're not on the left they are well they're far better than the Jaguars who the Bears lost to so I'm still going with my pack. All right. So the other game I want you to pick on me uh, is the resurgent Vikings without Bridgewater and Peterson. So was that a shock to you that bringing in Bradford, Diggs? And everybody else around him, all of a sudden, the Vikings are five and zero. Oh. Well, that I'd say that was a pretty big shock to me. But you know something? They have one thing going for them: U.S. Bank Stadium. It is the Metrodome on steroids. I mean, the Packers over the game, they played like they used to play against. Aaron played against like Brett used to in the Metrodome. All this noise was getting to us. I, I, if they get home field advantage throughout the NFC playoffs, look out. All right, so the other game is Monday night, Texans-Broncos. Uh, Broncos coming off uh, a loss. Texans coming off a big win against the Colts in overtime. Uh, what's your prediction there? Who's the home team again? Uh, Broncos-Texans on, on Monday night. Who's, who's the home team again? I who's the, who's who's hosting the game? That's going to be Broncos. They're hosting the Texans. I say the Broncos. I still say the Broncos have this one because a big part of what the Texans were doing is because they felt the heat from their home crowd. They're not the home crowd. The Broncos have had one of the most distinct home field advantages in all of in all of sports, being mile high and all that. So. The Texans won't have their crowd to pull them through this one, so the Broncos got this. And this is obviously Osweiler's return to Denver. So 
We'll see how he fares against uh, the uh, Simeon. That's going to be a pretty exciting. Two backup quarterbacks. Everyone thought he was going to be Peyton their apparent, but they're but they're just sure. going to let him have. They're going to let him have it in this game. They're really going. They are re- They are not going to light up in this game. I mean, I expect that atmosphere is not going to be quite what Lambeau Field was like when Brett Favre first turned there as a Viking, but it's going to be pretty close. Yeah. All right, everybody. Um, thank you for coming on today. Um, Michael, I really appreciate it making the time and coming in. Thanks to Callie Brownson from the DC Divas. Um, remember, everybody, shop at our project shop at Zazzle.com, Zazzle.com forward slash Granary Beauties, the No Joke Football Project. Um, every shirt that we get from there, uh, we are donating $3 to the uh, Gridiron Australia Women's Outback Team that's going to try to compete for the 2017 IFAB World Championships. So go uh, support your favorites and order them. Uh, you can use the code ORDERSHIP10 to save 10% off. If there's a better code or a better daily code, I encourage you to use that. So it's gridironbeauties um, on Zazzle.com. So Zazzle.com forward slash gridironbeauties. So uh, for all the latest scores and insights, you can go to our Facebook page at gridironbeauties on Facebook and always, always 24-7 on Twitter. So you can get all the latest information of international play as well as NFL scoops and college football hotbed topics and our Twitter feed at Gridiron Beauty. So, um, Michael, thank you again for coming on with me today and co-hosting as well with Callie uh, coming on here. So I think we had a pretty good time. Thank you so much, sir. You have a great night, there. It's been a pleasure. See you next time. There is going to be a next time. I know that. Awesome, Mike. Thank you again for all you do. appreciate it, and thanks for coming in today. My pleasure. You take care. That was Michael Burmey from uh, Michael Burmey at uh, you can go uh, follow him on Facebook. He's doing Facebook Live now with taking chats and uh, taking insights uh, in terms of the women's game. Uh, get the scoop on the latest news that's happening. We do share a lot of stuff from him in terms of what's going on in the WFA and IWFL, um, just like we uh, rely on Neil Rosenthal as well for some of the headline news and stuff like that. So uh, go follow him at uh, WF. Fan art on Twitter, WF Fan Art on Twitter. Um, you can have our link there as well. And uh, Michael Burmey at uh, Facebook as well. So thanks again to uh, Callie Brunson for coming in. And for the absent and Kishi Free, who she will return in a couple weeks. And for the absent Troy Wilson, uh, we'll be talking college football next week. First thing when we come in, we'll hide that up. And then obviously week seven in the NFL and more of the Women's Gridiron uh, recaps and chat. So don't forget to go to our Facebook page. And reminder, go to Instagram and go like our page there as well because we explore all the international uh, talent that's internationally playing American football. So go to Instagram. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day, and we'll see you here next week right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com.